During the 50-odd days we spent at Red Cross War Memorial Children's Hospital, I continued to do my radio show. I was the host of the Afternoon Drive show, a show that had been recognized nationally as the best Afternoon Drive show two years prior. Our ratings were good, uh, my managers were happy, and listeners seemed to be connecting with the show really well. So when I called in to say I have to take a few weeks off, my daughter is enduring test after test, and I simply cannot leave Rue to do this on her own, my manager said, don't worry, come in when you can. WhatsApp me on the day and tell me if you need a stand-in. It's fine. You should know that when you work as a presenter for the SABC, you work as a freelance contractor, i.e. no work, no pay. And generally speaking, leave was something you applied for at least a week in advance. Here was my manager telling me that he was concerned for me financially, and therefore I could work as and when I felt strong enough to do so. Sounded like a good deal to me. There were many days that I prepared for a radio show in a ward filled with sick children. The beeping of alarms, the squeaky wheel on that medicine trolley, and the lack of available plug sockets were daily occurrences that slowed the creative process. Switching from dad to entertainer was really hard. Have you ever tried coming up with ways to entertain an audience that you cannot physically see with what feels like the weight of the world on your shoulders? During this time, I was Mr. Lewitz or OK Daddy at the hospital and Shono on the radio. My perception of who I was and what I felt I could share drifted apart. When the microphone was on, I was happy, excited, and doing my best to entertain. But between the links, I was nervously checking my WhatsApp for updates from Rue. It was through the experience that I learned the most about authenticity and the power of vulnerability. This story began over four years ago, and I'm only just beginning to tell it because Zoe keeps rewriting paragraphs and defying doctors' predictions for her life. Having a daughter with special needs has opened my eyes, it's opened my ears, and it's opened our hearts tenfold. Zoe is my inspiration, and I hope through her story and the stories shared by my guests, we can motivate one another to truly live. In this episode of Unstoppable, I chat with Tracy Lang, who is no stranger to the camera. In fact, legend has it, if you point a camera in her direction, Tracy will immediately strike a pose and flash her warm smile across her face. And it's that warm smile you can hear through her voice on the radio. Tracy is no stranger to television either, from Bravo to Dancing with the Stars SA and the female panel Afrikaans talk show Thyssen Ornst. We chat about her authenticity, who guides her through tough times, and what she wanted to do with her life. The answer is guaranteed to make you chuckle. I hope you enjoy this episode. From Uncover Extraordinary Media, this is Unstoppable. Let the journey begin. I'm opening a mobile sandwich shop, 
and I sell anything between two slices of bread or a bread substitute. And I come to you and I say, I want to name a sandwich Tracy Lang. What flavor combination would have to go between those two slices of bread to make it a truly authentic TL sandwich? Chicken mayo with cheddar and then lots of salt. <laughs> is that is that like is that like a, a personal flavor combination, or would that describe Tracy Lang? Are you like a chicken covered in mayonnaise? I am. It is. It is definitely a personal flavor kind of combination that I do like, but it is also very much kind of Tracy. So, in the sense that, so. Tracy being, I can give you a lot. So sometimes you can be incredibly full and kind of go, okay, I've had enough, leave me alone. So there's a lot of that. I try to sweeten the deal, but often when there's a lot of sweet, I also go, we need to have a balance with a bit of the salty. Sometimes a bit of the not so nice. I know a lot of people prefer the savory, but if we're looking at life in general, we can't have the good without the bad. And my mom mm. always used to say it. She often still says it today, everything good and bad as an ending and if we realize that we understand life just a little bit better we kind of hold on to making sure that we always want to dabble kind of in between knowing that there is always an end to good and the bad we need to kind of stay stable at a certain place and that's definitely more what the sandwich would be if that was if it was Tracy Lang I, I like it I think it would sell I think it would sell very well Tracy <laughs> Um, having watched you grow over the years, I get the sense that authenticity and representation are very important to you. Would you mind if we went back to to your childhood? What, what was it like growing up in your household? Can you describe your, your family life, maybe some of the routines that you, you went through? Yes, with pleasure. So I grew up in Somerset West and I grew up in... I won't say we, we never struggled for anything. There was always food on the table. But yes, we were we, we were poor. And but there was enough. I never ever went to bed hungry. And I can always say that we also when December came we had really good holidays. My parents were and the reason why I'm telling you that, let me explain that, is that a couple of years ago someone said to my sister, You are very spoiled. And my sister immediately kind of took offense to this and went, I can't, why would you say that? I'm definitely not spoiled because our, when, when we think spoiled, we immediately think materialistic, right? That's our reference. And then the sure. person said to her, no, what I mean with you are spoiled is you are spoiled with an innate sense of peace, which I think comes from your home. And that is exactly what we grew up in. We grew up in a very peaceful home. Uh, dad was home every day just after five o'clock, but my dad had a full-time job. And me and us being part of the New Apostolic Church, if you're a minister in our church, you don't get paid for what you do. It's something you really love to do. You do it out of the goodness of your heart. And mm. my dad was a priest in our church. Throughout my entire life, my dad was a priest in the church. And he would come home after five, after a full day's work, he'd come home. My mom would make sure dinner's ready. He would have dinner. He would probably take about a 30-minute nap. Then he'd get up, jump into the shower, and then he'd get into his car and he'd go and do his church work. So he would do his house business. Wow. He would make sure that he would take care of 
you know, the people in his congregations. And he had two congregations that he had to take care of. And he always loved working in the poorer communities. He loved working on the farm communities because he himself grew up on a farm and he knew the struggles. He had to stop going to school at the age of 15 to start working for the family. So he understood their struggles, and that's why he always preferred to work in those areas. And yet, despite this, and despite the fact that my mom perhaps didn't have a lot of support from him at home in keeping things going at home, there was never any fights. It was a very peaceful mm. home in that my mom just kind of kept things together. And even though my dad wasn't there she kind of kept us away from him when he got home from work because she understood he needed to go do his church work. And that would happen from Monday to Thursday. And Friday evening would be his only evening off. And then Saturday would go to clean the church with his members. And then Sunday would be church day. So that was pretty normal. Wow. And we were also very much involved in the church, but we were at a different congregation in Somerset West. So my mom always kind of kept made sure that when he got home, it was very quiet for him. It was peaceful. And I wouldn't bother him with my homework then. I would bother him later on. When he'd come home from his church work, I would kind of go, Dad, I need help with my maths. Because my dad was a wizard maths. And my mm. mom hated it. She was like, nope, not going to happen. Speak to your dad. And my dad <laughs> never, ever pushed us away. He helped and he wow. loved maths. So we realized later, and like I said, a couple of years ago, we realized how wonderful the home was that we actually grew up in, in that we had this peace and quiet. And for a long time, sometimes because uh, you also learn how to deal with conflict based on how you see adult with at home. That's how you learn. But yes. because my parents never argued, I for a long time didn't know how to deal with conflict. I had no idea. And then I learned that it's because you have to learn at home. And I thought, gosh, I can't believe my parents didn't teach me about this, etc. And then as I've grown older, I've made peace with it. I'm okay with the fact that I can't deal with conflict as well as many other people do. But I can tell you this, my parents, I am grateful for what they gave me. I am very grateful for the peace and quiet. And I also realized much later, they did have their differences. It's just they kind of sorted it out amongst themselves behind their bedroom door. Mm. <laughs> so... Mm. I, I really, I, I always rave about my parents. I've been very fortunate to have the parents that I did. And parents who kind of pushed me for anything. If I said this was what I wanted to do, if I said I want to, I mean, I think at one stage I said to my dad, I want to swim at school. And he went, great news. Um, it lasted one lesson. And I got home and he said, no, I figured you probably wouldn't enjoy it. But okay, but, but he didn't stop me. That's the thing. Then I want to right. play whichever other instrument. And then again, my dad was like, great, go for one lesson. Then you come back and literally be two lessons in. And then he'd go, yeah, that's why I wasn't going to buy you the clarinet because I knew this wasn't going to happen, but I'd let you go for it. And my mom, very much the same. My mom was the one who kind of pushed more in terms of if I said, I'm not sure I can do this why I'd come home and after my piano lesson, I'd be like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to play this and it's devastating. And my mom would go, yes, you're right. Whatever you are saying, you are so right. So can you imagine if you had to say that you can? Because if you say that you can, you possibly will be able to. So there was always that kind of balance Ooh. always. They always, whatever we said we wanted to try, we could try. They were incredibly strict. And as a teenager, I didn't always get it. Today, I am very happy. <laughs> Through... Primary school and maybe even high school, Tracy, they're, they're definitive cliques of students, um, you know, the athletes or the rebels. Looking back, which mold did you mostly fit into then? 
None of them. I was a nerd, but a nerd without being smart. I am, I'm quite a goody two shoes in that I like to stick to the rules and I like mm. to do, I, I like to do exactly as, as is expected of me. But at school, so I had everything. I had all the enthusiasm for making sure that I did everything right and for possibly being an A student, but I wasn't. I think I could have been like an F student. I just hated school. I hated it. I loved having the right pencils and the right pens. I liked having my pencil case. I liked having my books ready, but I didn't like it so much. I really just didn't. And not because anything happened. I just really didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it at all. But interestingly, I, I also happened to be friends with everybody. I, I, and I realized it later on, I realized it when I finished primary school and I realized it when I finished high school, like literally within a couple of days of finishing it, I went, oh my word, I didn't realize that the most popular kids knew who I was. They would know me by name and speak to me. And even the, 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 the kind of the nerds or the drama students or the music students or everyone, the job, everyone knew me and yet I never... I didn't think that they were paying any attention to me. I only figured, I only found out after high school that these people all knew who I was. And for the life of me, I can't understand why. Because I really wasn't <laughs> anything. I wasn't the loud mouth. I wasn't the, I wasn't the very quiet either. I was always just in between. I think I was just there. I think I just took up space. I was just taking air and I didn't pay attention to anything at all. But also all the all the teachers knew me. So again, it's very it's such an interesting thing because I can't understand like why they knew me if I just didn't even try to stand out in the class. I was really just there. Tracy, I can't imagine a Tracy Lang who doesn't have that presence when you walk into a space or um, a laugh that captivates people around you, do you think then those things sort of slowly but surely developed? Do you, do you think maybe at high school there was a particular part of your personality that you were squashing? It doesn't sound like it to me. You had no reason to do that. Yeah, I definitely had no reason. But what's interesting, despite all of that, in primary school already, there was a teacher, Mrs. DeClerc, and I mentioned her not too long ago in another interview that I did because I actually went back to my old primary school just for a quick visit. And she's finally mm. retired. And I mentioned the fact that at primary school, despite all of that, she was the one who called me into her class. No, she held me back in one of the classes one day as the bell rang for break. She said to me, Tracy, just wait a second. And my immediate thing was, oh, my goodness, I did something wrong. Either I misspelled a word or something, like something happened. Mm. Um, mm. And all she said to me, she said to me, Tracy, what would you like to do one day? And I said to her, Sister Claire, I'm not, I'm not sure I haven't given this any thought. <laughs> and she said to me, I really think you should consider media. Now, what is interesting about this is that Again, as I could tell you, like, I mean, I, I hated orals. Up until today, I hated when I'm expected to, yes, believe it or not, do any kind of public speaking. The, the nerves get the better of me all the time. And at school, I hated orals. Absolutely hated it. I cannot understand. Even now, when I think about it, I get heart palpitations. I can't understand why <laughs> people want to put that on kids. When I speak to my niece and my nephews and they have to do it, I go into a panic. I'm like, oh, my word, I can't believe them. Oral, this is the worst thing in the world. It's horrible. So I, 
I did, I hated it. And yet, interestingly, she saw something that I then completely forgot about for many years. And even in high school, I was still that person who just kind of was just there. I didn't pay too much attention to anything. But to your point, Shona, the fact that there was probably just always this presence. What I found out a little bit later on in life, in my, I think it was my mid-20s, I started seeing a life coach. And he kind of took me back in time and we spoke about so many things in my life that had happened. And what I discovered was then, in, in general, in general, I'm more of a loner. I am an extroverted introvert. I love being by myself. I love people. But I... I water my garden when I'm by myself. I right. can be, I feel like I'm on top of the world when I'm by myself. If I have three days to myself, I walk out after three days and I literally have got a complete overall of each and every TV show that I've got, new ideas. Those things happen to me and I need a lot of space for that and I, I thrive when I'm by myself. But what I picked up in high school, and this was when I'd spoken to my life coach, I determined that in high school, I found that people are uncomfortable around quiet people. Hmm. And if you speak to my family, they will tell you I was incredibly quiet. I never said a word, even as a kid. I was very quiet. I spoke to my mom and my dad, and I just wanted my sister around me. And if there was anyone else, I'd be, I'd be quite, not miserable. I would just be quiet. I would look miserable, but hmm. I wasn't miserable. I was just <laughs> very quiet. And I realized in high school, people are uncomfortable around that. And because I don't like people being uncomfortable, I started filling that space with just warming and, and being slightly more welcoming to them to not feel uncomfortable because I don't like that. And through this, mm. I obviously just kept building that. And it was just something that kind of happened because I think I just felt I needed to make sure people weren't uncomfortable around me. And then in speaking to my life coach, he said to me, Tracy, so what's interesting is that that presence of yours was always there. It's why your teacher probably saw it in primary school. And you had that without even trying. And he, he taught me the importance of just being and not trying. Because when you, when you just are, when you are in that moment, when you just get to be, things start happening. And mm. I had to go back to being just me, just Tracy, mm. being in a moment, not trying. And that started opening up doors for me in my career all the way through. And up until today, that's the case. So yeah. I am yeah. grateful that that did happen to me in high school where I realized the importance of making people feel comfortable because that is imperative in my job today. My guests yeah, feel comfortable when I speak to them. And that was really the only, I think that's the only significant um, thing that I can pinpoint in my high school career where I can say things started kind of changing. So it was uh, one of your earlier teachers and that said, you know, she thinks you should go into media. What did you dream you would be doing one day, Tracy? As a kid, my dream was always to be the eldest because I was the youngest. Because when you're the eldest, you get everything. But that's how it felt. You know, like, I was like, one day, I'm going to be the eldest. I'm going to make one sure. One day. <laughs> I begged my parents for a sibling for many years. It was just not going to happen. It's devastating. Like that. I just wanted someone to shunt around. Oh, it's horrible, I tell you. And then, so it was that. I went from that to wanting to be a teacher. And still sometimes today, I... I feel, I feel a great pull towards education and mm. educating 
those are the two most prominent things. But then interestingly, after school, I mean, like I mentioned, we didn't have money and my parents sort of made it a, a plan for me to go and study. But it just so happened that I just said to them, I wasn't entirely sure what maybe tourism should be something I do. Mm. And I never ended up doing tourism because as my mom went to the bank to go and get a loan for my study, she spoke to somebody in the queue because my mom is also quite a chatterbox. And this person then said to her, oh, you know what? We are looking for a receptionist at my old law firm. Let, take your daughter there. Tell your daughter to go there today. They'll make a plan. And fast forward to a year later, I I started working for them and then another big law firm poached me and then I started working for them and I used to do all property developments in Somerset West, a lot of the big property developments. I was very much involved with those and I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it and it was someone over there that said to me, one of my directors over there who said to me, Tracy, I think you are wasting your personality and believe it or not, the words he then said later was, I really see you in media. And this triggered something because then suddenly I remembered what my teacher had said to me. And I just never thought of it again. So those were the only things I'd ever considered doing. I, 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 I kind of flirted with the idea of being a flight attendant. But that's mm -hmm. because I wanted to travel. And I always said to my mom, I'd like to travel. So that was always a, an idea. And also because I kind of liked the idea of working with people. So it very much kind of tied into the tourism thing. So mm. those were the things that I had considered doing sort of earmarked for yourself yeah. um, but now okay so your journey into the south african broadcasting space i think it has been meteoric there was a time when i felt you were on every magazine cover every tv channel every social media platform kind of dominated you owned the country <laughs> what do you feel is the biggest factor that has helped you be successful oh I I think there are so many, but I think the biggest factor, I think there are two things. It's the fact that despite everything that's happened, I've never lost my humility. And maybe it's a horrible thing for me to say myself, but I, through the years of being in this industry, I work with people who have Literally, they'll, they'll walk into the industry and six months down the line, they throw tantrums about the water that's in their cup because they want black coffee in their cup. Um, mm. I mean, the kettle's right there going, pour your own damn coffee as far as I'm concerned. Do you understand? Yeah. I, I've never lost sight of the fact that all of this can disappear tomorrow. And when you have that in the back of your mind all the time, gratitude is constantly present. And when you have gratitude, you can't lose your humility. I, I, my ability to constantly work with people and give them my everything, regardless of who it is, if it is for an interview in a magazine, if it is for anything that is required, I'll give them my everything. And I know that stands out above everything else. I know that when I, I'm asked for a show, I know when, when I was asked to host Dancing with the Stars, and I remember you and your, the moment that was announced, you and your team on air at the time, you guys sent me a video just to congratulate me on the fact that I was going to be hosting Dancing with the Stars a couple of years ago. Mm. Mm. When they announced that I'll be hosting Dancing with the Stars, I asked the producer at the time to please 
give me the names of everyone who will be part of the show. She obviously said, please keep it quiet. It will only be announced later. And I, I started doing my research. With our first meeting with everyone, I walked in with a file of over 160 pages and I knew everything about each and every celeb, including each and every dancer. To wow. such an extent that after our first rehearsal, each and every dancer came back to me and they said to me, I can't believe you know that about me because I'm not the important person. That's the celeb that's important. And I said, no, you are all important. I said, you're the ones that guide them. And I think it's that. It's the fact that I don't care who you are or what it is that you do. I'm always going to make you feel important. So, and, and I'll do that through hard work in knowing as much as I possibly can and being there with you in that moment. So it's that hard work and just never forgetting where this is from and what it's about. It, it, I always know that it's from God. I know I've mm. been incredibly blessed. And mm. with that, I think it's that's why I always have that, that, that great gratitude. And I think that has kind of allowed me to, and I'm going to have to use your term because I can't think of another one, to dominate <laughs> on stage. Because I think people knew that when you book me for a shoot, when you book me for an interview, when you book me for everything, I am ready 10 minutes before the time. I'll pitch up before yeah. the time. I am never, ever late. I, I, I start panicking when I'm late. I can guarantee you that once that interview is out, I will share it everywhere so everyone knows about it because I want you to do well as well. I think mm. it's always about all of us. It's never just the one. And I believe if we take care of the industry as a whole, then there will always be work for everybody. And I think it's mm. that constant mindset that's kind of allowed that. I love that. That's beautiful. And and I'm sure, actually, I'm going to assume, but I'm still sure that despite there being many doors that have opened for you, there's also been a fair share of them that sort of been shut in your face or people that have told you you can't do something that you want to do. What or who did you turn to for strength and guidance through through those times, Tracy? Through those times, always my parents and my mother specifically. My mother, oh, Shona, if you think I'm positive, like take my mother, it's like multiplied by 7,000, like to a point where it's like exhausting <laughs> for me. Like we just go, you just, actually, you just cannot. That's her name. It's just like, oh, I can't. And she comfortably will tell you um, that when it comes to positivity, she beats all of us as a family combined because she's just like, I know your word. She's like, I beat all of you. I love all of you. Because we all have those moments where we kind of go like we – we question ourselves, we question, am I on the right path? We question all those things. And my mother would always be the one to say, Tracy, just keep pushing through. You don't know what's going to happen, but you'll be surprised at what would open up. And mm. she, my mom really is incredible in that even the smallest thing she sees as, as an opportunity. And when it doesn't work out, then she will just go, but okay, that's how God wanted it. And sometimes I think that's always the difficult thing when you're like, so nothing was meant to come of that. Like I put all of this in and nothing. And then she goes, yeah, but maybe God just wanted that for a little while for you and then move on. And then you sit there and you go, no, no, I can't even believe this woman just said this to me. <laughs> but she is fantastic in that. And she doesn't allow me to feel sorry for myself at all. Oh, the luxury of going, really, mom, I... I can't do this anymore. I am devastated. She would go, um, 
I just, I, I'm trying to think of a specific, there was a specific line that she said to me a, 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 not too long ago, actually, when I said to her, I, I can't do this. This is just too much, and I'm, I'm battling with these people. And she said to me, but Tracy, maybe you must just learn whatever it is that you need to learn. Don't forget, there's a lot of things God is seeing, but sometimes just take the lesson. And I went, but can't you just say to me, Tracy, yeah, it's so horrible. I just wanted a yeah, it's so horrible. But she wasn't even going to say that. <laughs> Mother doesn't even go there. She just immediately goes to, yeah, it's just, it's just that. And it's amazing how she just sees life like that. She just always has. There was only one time only once in all in my entire career that I remember calling her and it was a very tough time and I said to her I don't know what to do and I'm I'm at wit's end and then all she said to me is the most in terms of very clear motivation that she gave me she said to me Tracy if anything don't think that you can't do your job you can there's nothing wrong with you. And hmm. that was it. And that was it. So it's always kind of been my my mom and my dad. Always. She's hmm. the one that's kind of more the firm. My dad would be the one that would go, yeah, okay, cool. Let's let's pray about it. I would call my mom and she would say to me, okay, cool. I'm going to speak to your dad. And this was, I mean, my, my father passed away two years ago now. And hmm. she would say to me, okay, cool. I'll speak to your father. I'll call you back. And then she'd call me back and she'd say to me, especially one, one job in particular, I called and I said to her, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what to do. And I said to her, I think I need to leave. And she said to me, cool, I'm, I'm going to speak to your dad. I'll call you back. She called back about 10 minutes later. She said to me, Tracy, I spoke to your dad. We prayed about it. Your dad said you must leave. Leave? I know that you go out of your way to try and save money and you don't live... Um, frivolously she said you'll be fine and she said tomorrow when you go to work resign and the following morning I went on air finished my show and as I was about to walk in to resign I got a phone call from another radio station offering me another position <laughs> and that's just always how it's been wow yeah yeah, you're connected, my friend. You are connected. <laughs> and when I say connected, I'm looking up my side. You can't see me, but I'm looking up. <laughs> um, Trace, you also wear a multitude of hats and some of them simultaneously. And forget, and please forgive me if I drop one of the hats now as I try to bring them all up. But do you wear a hat of a TV presenter, a radio presenter, a producer, a content creator, a daughter, a sister, a fiance? <laughs> Do you even have time to sleep? <laughs> I do. I have a lot of time to sleep. Okay, I'm lying. Not, not enough. I will always admit that it's not enough. But I do. I've, I've realized that if I don't get sleep, it's tough doing my job. Oh, it's very, and, very difficult. And then what out of all of those hats, what keeps you awake at night? Is there anything that ever worries you? Being the TV producer. Hmm. That one worries me more than most of the other things, but that's purely because of so many other things behind the scenes. I, I love the job itself. I love the job and I love my team that I work with, but there's a lot of other things that comes to play when you are producing a show. 
there's keeping so many different elements happy and you are constantly you are in what do you call it is it a unicycle what's that thing that cycle thing with the one wheel what's it called yeah yeah it's a unicycle yeah. hey like those the, yeah. the only the clowns use it in the circus yes 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 like it's a, yeah. yeah i constantly feel like i'm on one of those when it comes to and I'm on a tightrope at the same time, just making ah, yes, balancing okay. and keeping everything together. So it's it's that one more that gives me sleepless nights. Can I ask, where does your pressure come from? Uh, obviously, you're driven internally, uh, my assumption. Yeah. But do you find that pressure is external or do you find that pressure is far more from inside yourself? Oh, far more from inside. And believe it or not, years ago when I was very young, I once had an argument with an older woman who was, it was... She was just talking. I think I could have been about 16 years old and she was chatting to my aunts and all they were, they were going on about the fact, you know, the pressures of life as a woman, you know, that kind of thing at the time. And I remember mm. even as a 16 year old, I stood up and I said, but don't you think you put the pressure on yourself? And this woman was livid that I dared to say that because what do you even know? She's like, yeah, this is life. You expected to do these things. But the reality is a lot of those pressures we put on ourselves. And up until today, I can tell you still the same thing. I know mm. it's pressures we put on ourselves. And sadly, I mean, at the time when that argument was had, there wasn't even social media. It's gotten 20 wow, times yeah. worse. There's this yeah. thing of constantly seeing what everyone else is doing. And then you think, oh, my word, my life isn't happening. Oh, my goodness. Trust me, everything is happening. But you can't be like every moment that people share something really great happening in their lives. Now, suddenly it feels like you're not doing a thing. You are. Mm. Sometimes just living every day is doing something great. We put a stupid amount of pressure on ourselves. And I know I am guilty of that myself. What mm. I can tell you as well is that in lockdown, I have determined that I, it's okay to sometimes sit back just a little bit for just a second, mm. take a step back, sit back and just relax, breathe. Things actually still happen. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdown seems to give us a whole new perspective on where we're going with our lives, doesn't it? And if you say, just take a, a seat back there, my next question was going to be, how do you like to spend your downtime? My downtime, I like to spend at home. I like to be with my fiance and if he's not around, being alone is perfectly fine. I like to check in on my mom and my sister and her kids and just spending time with them. I also like to just walk around in town. I am a lover of walking. So wherever mm. I go generally, if I can walk around, I'm the happiest person in the world. That is what I mm. do in my downtime. I tend to find... I, I re-energize when I walk. That's good for me. You know what? Mm. You know what I find often when I'm relaxing, when I'm having my downtime and my brain is slowly but surely unwinding, that's often when I feel the most creative as opposed to when I'm constantly pushing myself to come up with things and to co complete content. I don't know if you find the same way. Does the walking do that for you too? Completely. I'm completely with you. It's when it's that. It's that quiet moment. And then you realize it's just we, we are clogging our brain with too many things. When our brain yeah. is already doing the work, that creativity is there, but we are stifling it with putting all these things in and forcing it to think. Like, 
If you the yeah. moment I sit back, suddenly there's just all these things. And I had that in lockdown. I had moments where I could sit and suddenly I created. I, I ended up, I remember in one day, I ended up creating seven different show content structures. And mm. believe it or not, those are the shows now once we've gotten our ratings, literally from this first show up until the all of them. They've literally been climbing week by week, week by week in terms of ratings, which proves I just kept pushing myself too hard. And again, where yeah. did that come from? From me. I pressured myself mm. into that. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, and, and I was going to ask you what you think your greatest strength is, but sometimes I suppose our greatest strength is realizing that we don't have to hold on so tightly, hey, that we can kind of let go just a little bit more and trust ourselves that it'll work out. Absolutely. But uh, let's admit that's so much easier said than done. Whoa. Yeah. Is, and, and finding that balance between what is it okay to still hold on for a little while? When is it okay to let go? You let go. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. You don't know. Should I still keep pushing? It's, it's a very difficult situation. Mm. But mm. again, I, I do think that's, that is one of my strengths being able to do that. And I think one of my other strengths, and I, I realized that, not too long ago is that it's okay to tell myself Tracy you've done well you've done well that doesn't mean I'm becoming full of it it doesn't mean I'm going to rest but it's okay sometimes to stop and go well done you've gotten till here look back see how far you've come and then take it from mm. there and if you are too tired yep. just go sleep and then tomorrow keep going again yeah, like you said, plant that flag um, and you can look back at it and go, I was here. Look how far we've come. Yeah, it's a nice marker, a mi milestone. Yeah. Um, two more questions for you. Yeah. <clears throat> One revolves around books and reading. Mm. Uh, if you were to to give a gift of a book, it's a question I, I like to ask everybody. Uh, what book would you give? Something that you've read that you would recommend? The Shack. Immediately. Initially, I wasn't... I, I, in, I kind of happened upon the book by chance. I knew about the book. Everyone kept telling us about this book and telling me about this book. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, maybe not, whatever. And then one day, I think I was in a, in a bookshop. Um, it was between flying between here and Joburg for TV shows and shoots. And I happened to be in Joburg. And I walked in a bookshop and there the book was. And I thought, you know what, I'm not seeing anything else that's interesting. Let me grab this book. And I I had no expectation. Hmm. But after that book, I, I'll happily tell anyone to read that book. It firstly it gives you a different picture of what God could be. Hmm. Um the way God portrayed himself in so many different ways to this man. And how we explained in this book how life happens, how we often ask ourselves, how can God let bad things happen? How, how, how can he? How dare he? And how it's explained in this book in terms of what he does. And where he goes, but free will is a thing. I've given man free will. But I'm going to be there for you if you trust me. I will... If you have faith in me, I will use that stumbling block as a stepping stone for you. And that was the biggest takeaway from that. Mm. 
Mm. I, I must say, I haven't read the book. I've seen the movie. Mm. Maybe I must go and have a look for the book. Yeah. Um, uh, I like that. I like that idea very much. And then Tracy, a question that I've actually stolen from Tim Ferriss. He asks it on his podcast a lot, and it revolves around an inspirational quote. But he phrases it in such a way that it's it's this billboard that's going up, and you're reminded that the billboard is obviously a large. Um, piece of real estate, but people drive past it really quickly. So they don't really get much time to read or see what's on the billboard. So it has to be attention grabbing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to put a quote or a saying or a piece of information on that billboard, what would you use that space for? Never forget how important you are not. Oh. I think it's important to have a great amount of self-confidence and it's important to applaud yourself when you do well. But we need to remember that we aren't the only people in the world. Mm. If we remember how important we are not, we become way more considerate. Mm. And empathy, the world needs so much empathy. Yes. Um, I like that very much. Oh, bravo. <laughs> Top my tip my hat to you. That's very cool. I like Thank that you. one very much, Tress. Very cool. Um, where can people catch you and find you and keep up with you uh, if they're looking for Tracy Lang and they want to be further inspired by your journey, Tracy? Where would they find you? They can find me on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tracy Lang. I'm all over there. And often people also ask me, how can they get hold of me? Actually, my, my email address is there on all my different social media platforms for that reason. So people try to inbox and then they get upset because they go, I can't see you not reading my messages. And I go, no, there's an email address. And trust me, by the end of each and every day, you would have gotten a response. That is how pedantic I am. And I believe that it is my job to open up doors and help where I can. And I've I started a mentoring group. I started mentoring a group of young people who's keen on the media. And I, I said to them, cool. I said, if you pop me a mail, I'll make sure I'll get in touch with you and I'll put you in touch with all the right people. And I'm able to do that. But people don't realize that the email addresses are there. And I've promised that I will. And I will continue that promise because I, I am a firm believer that you need to lift while you rise. And if mm. I am on the other side of the door, I need to open up that door. And I don't mm. think it takes anything away from me. I have full faith in the fact that I everything will still be okay. So you can get hold of me on all those different platforms. You can watch me on TV, CakeNet and CakeNet and Key. And then on radio, you can catch me on KFM. Mm, Tracy, that's beautiful. You need to tell me more. Tell me more about this mentorship thing quickly. So it was purely just I asked constantly. I'm getting questions from young people going, Tracy, what can I do to get into the industry? How do I go about it? What do I do? And then I put together, I said, cool, let's have a big Q&A session. Let me know who's keen. Uh, about 15 people signed up, young people between the ages of 17 and 25. And I had a big Q&A session. But before I did the Q&A session, I spoke to producers and I spoke to people at the radio. And I said, would you be keen to be to join me once a month for check-ins with these young people to answer their questions? And then after mm-hmm. that, I kind of said to them, this isn't just going to be a once-off thing. I'd like to keep this a constant thing and we'll be checking in with each other each and every month every now and then i invite my program manager at kfm then i invite producers content producers technical directors just to speak to them 
and then by the end of lockdown, whenever that's going to happen, I'll take them to sleep <laughs> with me and just expose them to all of that as well. That is so cool. Kudos <laughs> to you for continuing to fly the flag and there's plenty space for everybody um, to get into the media space. Nice one, Tracy. That's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, friends. Thanks so much for listening. I can hardly believe we are nearly at the end of season one. Next week, we'll see me release part one of the two-part season finale. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to Unstoppable and let me know how each episode resonates with you. Drop me an email, hello at uncoverextraordinary.co.za or connect via social media. And in so doing, let's grow this unstoppable community. Unstoppable is produced by Uncover Extraordinary Media. Check them out, www.uncoverextraordinary.co.za. Music is by Eric Williams and Epidemic Sound. And the entire process is overseen by my lovely executive producer, Ruenda Lewitz. You can join the Unstoppable community on Instagram at The Unstoppable Pod or on Twitter at Unstoppable underscore pod. And be sure to share this episode with someone you love. We'll speak again very soon. But until then, take care of yourself. Bye.